Shalom. This is Mark Robinson, Executive Director of Jewish Awareness Ministries. Welcome to Jewish Awareness Podcast, a teaching ministry of Jewish Awareness Ministries. On Friday nights at our headquarters, we host a Bible study. Generally, we do verse-by-verse studies of different books of the Bible. These studies can be viewed live through the JAM Facebook live stream platform on Fridays. If you have questions or would like additional information, go to our website, jewishawareness.org. Email us at office at jewishawareness.org or call us at 919 919- Two seven five four four seven seven. Enjoy the Bible study. Verses eighteen through twenty-four. It's, it's it's still part of the warning passage, which I believe starts uh, probably in the second part of verse fourteen, as we looked at it last week. But what we're looking at tonight, we have a contrast uh, between two mountains. Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. <laughs> then I got to tell them what you told me. I, no, I'm not going to tell them. I don't know. Go ahead, tell them. I just, it's a Bible college. I can't believe it. Most Bible colleges have, um, I guess, every class or one class. I don't know how it works. Um, but they have um, preaching contests for, for the preachers, for the young the, the, pre, the wannabe preachers, let me put it that way. Um, and they'll prepare a sermon and they'll preach the sermon, uh, what, in chapel, I guess, probably? Yep. Um, and they got all the profs there. They've got the students there. Well, Dan told me prior to our study tonight that the winner of this particular year, I guess, runner-up, runner up. okay, well, these only, I, I can only live with it if there's two people uh, in, in the running. Um, but anyway, he was preaching on this text. I, I, <laughs> you got Mount Sinai, and then you got Mount Zion, and he went on that. He says, but between these mountains is Mount Calvary, and he preached on Mount Calvary. I guess, I don't know. He should have flunked the whole thing. Uh, Mount Calvary is not mentioned in here. <laughs> What are these people thinking? This is a Bible college. You know, uh, between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion is not Mount Calvary. Um, Anyway, mercy. You wonder why the church is in such bad shape today. You know, when when he's the runner-up in the preaching contest and, you know. Oh, my. Mercy, mercy, mercy. Okay, let's move on. Here we have a contrast between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. Same type of analogy is used back in Galatians chapter 4, 21 through 31, which contrasts Sarah and Hagar and Isaac and Ishmael. Law and grace, basically. Uh, the contrast is between a works-based salvation and a faith-based or grace salvation. Uh, now, this section that we're looking at tonight is part of the warning to professing believers. And that's why I put believers in quotation marks, because they're not truly believers. They profess to believers, but they don't possess the Lord. They're not truly believers. They're not saved. So this is a warning. 
the final warning passage of the five warning passages in Hebrews, warning them uh, not to go back to Judaism, uh, but to come on to true faith. What we will have here is a contrast uh, with these two mountaintops. And Sinai, what was giving us, given at Sinai? The law. Uh, and so Sinai represents works, the law, following the, the law to get salvation. And, and by the works of the law, no man is made, was justified and made righteous in God's sight. Uh, so you have this contrast between Sinai, which is a works-based salvation, and Zion, which would be a grace-based salvation. So what he does, the writer of Hebrews is he contrasts the judgments that professing believers face. And there's five of them, all based around Mount Sinai. With the blessings, which, and there are eight of those, that true believers, possessing believers, have. So you have this contrast. And he does that um, in verse 18, speaking to the to the ones who are truly saved, uh, for you are not come onto the mount that might be touched and burned with fire. Uh, in other words, you are not part of these people, but there are part of those people who are going back to Sinai, are going back to Judaism, are going back to the Mosaic system, and they are leaving uh, the grace that God has provided through Jesus, the Messiah. Uh, and as we get down at the very bottom of this, we'll see the, not this today, but the next time that we get together uh, and, and finish Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, there is a Bible study next week. Maybe I should add on that. Uh, but I will be out of town. And so Dan will be teaching next Friday night. So, And the next Friday night, I will be out of town again. And Dan will be teaching. Uh, so two weeks in a row, uh, Dan is going to get through most of John with two weeks in a row to be able to teach. So, but just to let you know. So the Bible study will go on. So let's consider what it says. Verses 18 and 19 first. For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched, and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. Now, believers have not come. So he's using this uh, to express the judgment that will take place to unbelievers by saying believers have not come to Mount Sinai and the five different judgments. Well, the inference then, I think obviously, is those who are not believers, those who are just professing believers, not possessors, truly saved, they are going to be uh, facing these judgments. Uh, that are coming, and this is all part of the warning passages, the five judgments that it speaks of. Now, I've numbered them, one through five. For you not come onto the mount that might be touched. Uh, the first thought of judgment is, is might be touched. Uh, to touch the mountain, if you were at there at Sinai with the Israelites, uh, it, it became extremely holy. Uh, because of the presence of God on that mountaintop. If you would touch that mountaintop, if an animal would touch that mountain, not just the mountaintop, the mountain, 
death would ensue. The only one who was spared going up to the mountain was Moses. Well, Exodus 19, 12, and 13. And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves, that you go not up onto the mount, or touch the border of it. Whosoever touch the mount shall be surely put to death. There shall not a hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Whether it be beast or man, it shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. So the warning is, don't go near the mountain. Don't touch that mountain. Don't go up to the top of the mountain. doesn't matter whether it's your, your wife, your children, yourself, your pet, your dog, your, your goat, your lamb, whatever the case might be. It will bring death. And one of the things that the scripture uh, clearly teaches, uh, especially as you get into the later scripture, the book of Romans, and I have Romans 3 down here, 19 and 20, is the law can only bring death. That's what Mount Sinai represents. That's what it stands for. It stands for death. Uh, look at verses 19 and 20. Now we know that what things soever the law said, it says to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So Sinai represents the law. The law brings nothing but death. Uh, every mouth will be stopped uh, by the law itself. There, there's so many passages, and I chose not to, to look at them. We've looked at them in the past. So many different passages we can look at around this. Galatians, for example, chapter 3 especially. Uh, has a lot on this and, and what it speaks about the law. Uh, and the law um, just brings death to everyone. Um, the reason why is because the law is not one single law. It's not thou shalt not disobey your mom and dad, putting it in a negative. Um, the law is made up of, according to the rabbis, 613 parts. And yet, if you break one part of the law, you are guilty of breaking the entire law of God. There's only one law that you had to keep. Even then, you couldn't keep it perfectly your whole life. But certainly, you cannot keep 613 parts, if that's the correct number. Well, certainly, we know there's 10, right? We've got the Ten Commandments. Uh, and even if we just deal with the Ten Commandments, we can't keep the Ten Commandments. And so the law, and there's many more than that, because you've got laws of, of worship around the holy days, of, of, of clothing and purity and, and so much other stuff. Uh, so the law shuts our mouth. Uh, it, it tells us that we're all guilty. It shows us that we cannot keep the standard that God has laid out. We're sinners, we're imperfect, we break the law, and so we are due only one thing, death. Due in the sense they're not D-O, but D-U-E. Uh, we are owed only one thing. Uh, you're familiar with Romans uh, 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. What's a wage? It's something you get paid, something you earn. 
you go to the job, whether it's an hourly wage, it's a weekly wage, whatever the case might be, you put in your hours, you put in your week, and at the end of that pay period, uh, you have earned $500, whatever the amount is. You earned it because you worked for it. What do we earn? What is our wage? The wages of sin is death. You know, if you ever talk to somebody about the Lord, then elderly people who are religious oftentimes have a problem in this area who, who think that they are not sinners. Take them to Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death. You know, and ask them, you know, what is a wage? Well, it's something we, we earn, something we get uh, for what we do. Uh, so you said, tell me, and I've talked to people who told me they're not a sinner. Uh, so you tell me you're not a sinner. Well, let me ask you a question. Are you going to die? Well, yeah, everybody dies. Well, well, I'm not talking about everybody. I'm talking about you. Are you going to die? Yes. Well, what brings about death? The wages, what you earn for your sin is death. So the only reason you die is because you're sinner. So are you a sinner? Yeah, we know that. But sometimes other people don't know that. The law cannot save anybody. By the deeds of the law, no flesh, verse 20, Romans 3, shall be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. And the thought here uh, is you, you haven't come to a mountain that can't be touched. If you touch the mountain, you're going to die because you are going literally where God is dwelling and his holiness will consume you and you will die. Uh, and there's a whole bunch of illustrations of that. Remember in Leviticus chapter 10, uh, it's mentioned in the Yom Kippur passage in Leviticus 16 when uh, God tells Moses to speak to his brother Aaron and tells him, who is the high priest, Aaron, uh, not to come into the Holy of Holies anytime he wants to. If you do, any other time, you're going to surely die, just like your sons did. And their sons, Aaron's sons, Leviticus 10, came into the presence of God their way, and they were struck dead. Uh, when the ark was sent back from the Philistines after it was there and it was sent by those two cows or oxen and brought back into Beth Shemesh. If you remember what happened, the Israelites excited about it, looked at it, you know, and, and they looked into the ark of the, and, and thousands died. We die if we go into God's presence our way. That's what this mountain represents. Uh, but we are not come onto the mountain that might be touched. You are not come onto that mountain. Once we're a believer, we have boldness to come to the throne of grace. And, and, and Mount Sinai doesn't then apply for us. But this is, this is the warning. Uh, you're not like that, but if you're just a possessor and you come back uh, to the Mosaic law, you, you're going to die because it only brings death. Then it says, and that burned with fire. Now, in Deuteronomy 4, verses 11 and 24, and then Deuteronomy 5, 4 and 5, we are told this about what took place on that mountain. 
Mount Sinai. And ye came near and stood under the mountain. And the mountain burned with fire unto the midst of heaven with darkness, clouds, and thick darkness. Now we'll look at the, the, the clouds, the darkness in the next phrase uh, of Hebrews chapter 12. But they came near, they stood under the mountain, they stood uh, away from the border, uh, but there was fire. And that mountain burned with fire in, into the middle of heaven, is what it says. Um, and, and what this whole thing represents and what this whole thing speaks of, in verse 24, down in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4, it goes on, For the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. Now, when the book of Hebrews uses that, for God is a... Uh, consuming fire. Where do you think he got that from? The writer of Hebrews. Deuteronomy, exactly. God's a jealous God. And we don't like to think God of God as, as jealous, do we? Uh, we like to think of God as merciful, loving, kind, grace. What else? You know, all the good attributes. But God is a God of jealousy. He's a God of anger. He's a God of wrath. Vengeance. I mean, we can go on in a whole bunch of stuff. God is a jealous God. I am a consuming fire, even a jealous God. And if one, God, God commands our worship. We've looked at Deuteronomy chapter 10 later on, and Deuteronomy 10 builds on chapter 5, uh, 4 and 5. Uh, chapter 4, Moses goes up to the mountain, the fire, the darkness, and so on. Chapter 5 picks up, and chapter 5 of Deuteronomy, in, in the beginning of it, like the first 17, 18 verses, is the giving of the Ten Commandments. Now, it's repeating it, because the Ten Commandments was was given that, that episode, that historical event happened back in Exodus chapter 19 and that area, you know, in, in the book of Exodus after they left Egypt. Well, Moses is now um, the second law. It's not a different law. Um, he's just recounting what has taken place. And so we find the giving of the Ten Commandments mentioned again, not re-given, but mentioned again, and the story given again. And uh, we, I know we've looked at it before. We're not going to turn there now. Um, but this was a unique event. And as mentioned here, as we'll see it, see it, in the end of verse 19 in Romans chapter uh, uh, 12, uh, which voice they, they that heard, the, the Israelites, entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. They realized that what had happened at Mount Sinai, the giving of the law, the fire, the cloud, the voice, that if this would happen again, they would be devoured. They would be killed. So they pleaded with Moses that, that Moses, go tell God that, that whatever he wants us to do, we will do. And you go find out, Moses, what he wants us to do, and come back and tell us that's Deuteronomy chapter 5, and we will do it. So God responds, and he says, they have well said or spoken that which they said. God commended them. 
They were sincere. In chapter 10 of Deuteronomy, and maybe this will ring a bell or jog your memory, it picks up in chapter 10, I think it's verse 12. Now, Israel, what does the Lord thy God require of thee? Now, what did they ask back in chapter 5? Moses, we don't want to happen again. We don't want to, you know, because if this happens again, we're going to die. So Moses, you go back, you go talk to God and find out what God requires of us. You come back and you tell us and we will do it. And God said, they have well spoken. He also said, by the way, oh, that there was such a heart in them that they would do it, that they could do it. Well, uh, the, the heart there is, is a circumcised heart. And so in chapter 10 of Deuteronomy, it picks up and verse 12, and it starts out, and it says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord thy God require of thee? That's what they had asked Moses. Find out. And he gives a, he gives a litany of stuff. A number of things. To fear him, to love him, to serve him, to walk in all of his ways. Um, and, and he prefaced that, or, or he builds that, by saying, I am the creator of heaven and earth. Uh, and everybody is required to do that because I don't own everything, but especially then he says to the Jewish people, because I've uniquely called you for my purpose. And then in verse, I think it's verse 16 of chapter 10 of Deuteronomy, he says, therefore, circumcise your heart. In other words, I want you to obey me, I want you to serve me, I want you to love me, and so on. But in order to do that, you have to have a new heart. You have to have a circumcised heart to do that. Well, they weren't saved. They hadn't accepted the Lord. Because they'd only come to a mountain that would ultimately bring death. Um, and, and they understood that. So don't, don't let God speak to us anymore because we will die. God is a jealous God. He wants it done his way. This is not, this is not a democracy. Uh, this is a dictatorship, a benevolent. Well, if you're on the wrong side, he's not too benevolent to you. Um, but this, this, is, this is not, you know, hey, this, we're, we're going to get a minion together, and we'll take a vote. You know what a minion is? A minion. M-I-N-Y-A-N. A minion. No, Cheryl knows what a minion is. A minion is the minimum number of Jewish males, bar mitzvah age, which is 13 and over, required to get together to have a synagogue, a worship service. Pardon? Well, some would. Maybe, you know... Nobody, no, they're all shaking their head, no. Um, that's what a minion is. If you don't have 10 circumcised bar mitzvah age, you don't have to go through a ceremony, 13 or above, Jewish males, you can't have a worship service. Um, it's a, so it's a little bit, uh, you know, when Jesus came and he said, when two or three are gathered together, there are my, you know, but that's a minion. So, so you don't get 10 guys together and, 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 and say, okay, we're going to vote on this. And okay, you know, The problem if you get 10 Jewish males together, you get 15 different opinions. So you never get anything decided. 
Um, no, this is, not a, this is not a democracy. God is a jealous God. Now, when is the last time you heard in a sermon in church, or wherever, I guess, that God's a jealous God? It's been a long time, probably. Um, and he's jealous. He wants us to do it his way. If we don't do it his way, we're going to end up dead. That's the bottom line. He's a consuming fire. He's a jealous God. Um, and this is in the midst of this warning and all that's taking place. So we as believers don't have to worry about it. Because he's using this, speaking of believers, but speaking of, of, of the benefit that we have, that those who are professing believers, not truly saved, don't have. You, truly saved, you're not come onto the mountain that might be touched and that burned with fire. In other words, this doesn't apply to us, but this does apply to unsaved people. And they are in dire straits. God's a jealous God. I would hate to be in the shoes of, you know, and, and I understand unsafe people are walking around oblivious. Most, most ones say, you know, there's, there's certainly some exceptions here or there. Uh, but most unsafe people are just totally oblivious to spiritual things. Or, you know, what they know, they really don't know. Um, but God's jealous. And he's a consuming fire. How is God going to destroy the universe at the end, to end of time? Fire. You know, Second Peter talks about that, um, where all the all the elements melt. It's just consumed with fire, the whole universe. If God can do that to the whole universe, what about someone who's unsaved? Very scary proposition. Fire, and, the, and uh, look at verses 4 and 5, uh, before we move on, in uh, Deuteronomy 5. The Lord talked with you face to face in the mount out of the midst of the fire. I stood between the Lord and you at that time to show you the word of the Lord. For you were afraid by reason of the fire and went not up into the mount, saying, and it goes on. Now, the Lord talked with you face to face. We looked at this a few weeks ago. I'm not sure exactly when it was. Face to face is a Hebrew idiom. You find it in a number of portions of Scripture. You find it in 1 Corinthians chapter um, 13. Uh, then we shall see uh, face to face. And there's talking about the Word of God. I believe it's the Word of God. It's not Jesus. Face to face is a Hebrew idiom idiom that literally means all fullness, fully known, fully known. Uh, whatever the point might be that's being communicated, it is going to be completely revealed, fully known, fully revealed to you. Now, what was being revealed on Mount Sinai to the Israelites? The law. How much of the law did God reveal to the Israelites? All of it. The Lord talked with you face to face. Now, did he talk to the Israelites face to face? 
Look at verse 5. Answer that question. No. I, Moses, stood between you and the Lord at that time to show you the word of the Lord. For you were afraid by reason of the fire. You would not go up into the mountain. That was right, because they would die. So when, he, when the Lord talked to them face to face, he, he didn't even talk to them. So what does it mean? I, I gave you a full revelation. I gave you completely everything that I wanted you to receive, which in this context, Mosaic Law. This is what I demand of you to follow, is what he's saying. But they were scared, and rightfully so, because of the fire. I mean, it, it put, Mount Sinai may not be uh, Everest. You know, Everest is pretty big. You, you know, I read an article today. Everest is, some of it is melting, and there, there's all kinds of bodies being un. There's, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of bodies uh, on Mount Everest of people who've tried to climb it in, in, the, in the decades past and died and been and, and were covered in snow and ice. Well, it's melting now. No, don't, don't think global warming. But anyway, um, and they're uncovering, this is true, this is, yeah, they're uncovering all kinds of bodies who are, I mean, these are not, these are not um, bones. These are bodies. Because they're frozen. You know, think of that chicken breast you put in the freezer. You know, you come back six months later, and, you know, we're talking years in some of these cases. It's not bones, it's a chicken breast. And so they're uncovering these. Well, Mount Sinai is not Mount Everest, but it's still not a small mountain to speak of. Put yourself, I don't know if I can put a comparison to it, but if you were, if you were there and this mountain was on fire, reaching all the way up to heaven, on top of that, you have the darkness. But even for, forget about the darkness, forget about the voice, because why were they scared, according to verse? The fire. It's not a volcano. No, this is a supernatural act of God. Um, this was, this was a, f and, and obviously this was a fire that did not consume. Because who went up to the mountain who theoretically would have been consumed by fire? Moses. Was there another time in the history of Israel that uh, something burned and wasn't consumed? A bush. So obviously this is not something that is uh, different. Um, but it was fire. And this scared the people. I mean, you look at, the, you know, for, again, forget for now the thick darkness, forget the blackness, forget the voice. Forget the warning of death. What, what, what really scared them, we are told, for you were afraid by reason of the fire. Uh, and fire, uh, the, I, I, I've, ne I've never, I've been burned, but, you know, minimally. You know, I've touched a hot stove or something like that. And that was not comfortable. Uh, I remember years ago when my brother, twin brother, was... It was his turn to mow the lawn. And we were, I don't know, 17, 18. And so he did a stupid thing. The lawnmower was kept in the uh, work, in, in the, uh, we had a carport, and the end of the carport was a, was a closet, whatever you want to call it, a room, um, utility room. But in that utility room also was the, the water heater by gas, powered by, you know, gas water heater. 
you know. So he he needed to fill up the uh, the lawnmower. So instead of bringing it out of the room, he he did it right next to the gas water heater. Boom! He caught in fire. I mean, it was bad. And he was in miserable pain for a long time. Uh, I, you know, there's a lot of things that are painful, but fire certainly is, is on the, one of the top things on the list. Uh, they were scared. Um, and, and ultimately, when you think of fire and, and, and the pain of fire and that type of thing, when God chooses the ultimate punishment for unbelievers, where does he send them? To the lake, not, not, not to hell, to the lake of fire. Hell is where they, do, where they uh, reside right now. Now, I understand hell is oftentimes used as a uh, synonymous word uh, or, or term uh, with the lake of fire. But you read in Revelation chapter 20, and death and hell gave up their people and they were sent to the lake of fire. Death and hell. I mean, that's the eternal, and so perhaps there's no greater type of, of, of judgment than fire. Um, well, they were afraid, um, and, and we don't have to worry about fire. Isn't that nice? We don't have to worry about the lake of fire, but those who are not saved do. Um, Fire is used in the giving of the law to speak of God's anger with those who follow after other gods. And, and by the way, other gods, um, turn with me to Ezekiel. Yes, that would be Allah, Ezekiel 14. That would be uh, Buddha, that would be Dagon, that would be Baal, that would be, or Baal, uh, that would be the different false gods that you can name throughout history. But look at, look at verse 1 of Ezekiel 14. Then came certain of the elders of Israel unto me and sat before me. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, these, have, these men have set up their idols, an idol representing a god, in their heart. And put the stumbling block of their iniquity before their face. Should I be inquired of all, uh, of at, uh, at all by them? Therefore speak unto them and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Every man of the house of Israel that sets up his idols in his heart and puts the stumbling block of the iniquity before his face and comes to the prophet, <coughs> I the Lord will answer him that comes according to the multitude of his idols that I may take the house of Israel in their own heart, because they are all estranged from me through their idols. So he commands them, verse 6 and 7, to turn from their idols. Idolatry, false gods, is not just following Allah or Buddha or any of the false gods of the world. An idol is anything that we put up in our heart that comes between us and God. And it's idolatry. And God is a jealous God. He doesn't want your spouse to come before him. He doesn't want your children to come before him. We can make our spouse an idol. 
not going to say it because it's not public yet. Wait until next week. No, I won't be here next week. Anyway, I still won't say it. Um, <coughs> I don't even know if Cheryl knows what I'm talking about. A little bit. But anyway, um, God has to be number one in our life. So, um, so following after other gods, it can be the God of money. It can be the God of power. It can be the God of sexual pleasure. It can be the God of a false religion. It can be the God of the pride of your own heart. God is a jealous God. Then we have the third thought of verse 18. And that burned with fire, uh, no, uh, nor onto blackness and darkness and tempest. Three thoughts. Blackness and darkness and tempest. Well, that, again, back to Deuteronomy 5.22. These words the Lord spoke unto all your assembly in the mount out of the midst of the fire, of the cloud, and of the thick darkness with a great voice. And he added no more, and he wrote them in two tables of stone and delivered them unto me, the Ten Commandments. But not only was there fire, but there was great darkness. Now, I don't know how this works. <laughs> so, I mean, normally when you have a fire, you see it. But it was thick darkness as well. If you have thick darkness, you don't see anything. Now, perhaps part of the answer is what we are told in uh, Hebrews chapter 12. Blackness and darkness and tempest. Kenneth Weiss says the, the Greek words blackness, nophos, and darkness, zophos, signifying half-darkness, gloom, nebulousness, as the darkness of the evening or of the gathering gloom of death. It is a darkness which does not entirely conceal color. Now, perhaps this mountain on the very bottom was the darkness. And then as you moved up towards the top was the blackness. Following? As you got closer to the top where uh, the voice of God was and so on, it became extremely dark. And so in the nebulousness of the darkness on the, on the bottom of the mountain, remember, don't touch the bottom of the mountain, don't come near it, you're going to die. Uh, and because it was a little bit uh, more like uh, dawn, not dawn, but uh, the setting of the sun in the evening, the, um, the darkness of the evening, um, maybe, maybe they could see the fire. But as it went up, and, and it went up into heaven, but maybe on the mountaintop it was just dark, black, because it was black. Uh, the word tempest itself speaks of a sudden storm, a tempest. Again, this comes from Weist word studies, a whirlwind. Comes from uh, thuin to boil or foam. It's a brief, violent, sudden destructive blast, sometimes working upward and carrying objects into the upper air. We have not come onto the blackness and the darkness and the tempest. In other words, ultimately, um, unsaved people are going to be consumed by God's holiness. 
they're going to be destroyed. Uh, and the Bible scriptures, they're going to be tossed into the outer darkness. You know, I, I think the lake of fire, there's so many things that are, that are just, I don't even want, horrific about the lake of fire. It's, it's fire. You're in the lake of fire. But perhaps the worst thing about that place is not the fire in and of itself, as bad as that is. Nor the darkness, because the lake of fire is not a, you know, I want to go to hell, that's where all my, you've heard this. I want to go to hell, that's where all my friends are, and we're just going to party. That, no. The Bible speaks of hell as being a place of separation. Not only a separation from God, but you're all alone. Now, you can hear the voices of other people screaming. But you are alone in the darkness and in the fire that doesn't consume. But perhaps the worst thing of, about hell, even as, as bad as all those other things are, the hopelessness of it. You know, if you're sentenced to jail for 20 years, You can count the days, you count the weeks, you count the months, one year, two years, three years, five years, ten years. I'm halfway through and I'll be released. I've, I've got that hope. I'm getting out. Even if you have a life sentence, you know, your hope is, well, maybe on the other side of, uh, of this, there's something better for me. Well, they don't know because they don't know the scriptures. That's what they're thinking is they're not a believer. But in hell, there's no hope. If hell was a million years long, lake of fire, if it was a million years, you, you could look forward to being set free. But how long is people's existence in hell, lake of fire? Forever. The, a million years is, is a millisecond. And that doesn't even do it justice. Because it never ends. Because God is, is a holy God. And, and so the, they're going to die a, a violent, sudden, destructive blast. It's going to be God's judgment upon them coming. <clears throat> Unbelievers are either in total denial, blackness of Jesus and the gospel, or have some sort of darkness or nebulous understanding. They either deny Jesus or have an unbiblical understanding of Jesus and the gospel. They only have one thing, ultimately, they don't realize it, but they only have one thing thus to look forward to, judgment, tempest, the destruction that is coming from God. This is what unbelievers have to look forward to. Now, we don't have to look forward to that because this is not our parcel in life. We don't have to worry about the darkness, the blackness, the judgment that's coming, but the unsaved do. And then in verse 19, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. Uh, turn the page over, the sound of a trumpet. In Exodus 19, 16 and 19, it says this. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. 
verse 19. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him by a voice. The voice of a trumpet, it could have been the sound of a trumpet. There was a trumpet that blew. And the trumpet in Scripture speaks of authority, speaks of warning. Uh, think of the seven trumpet judgments, for example, of Revelation. The sounding of that seventh trumpet judgment uh, is just unleashing the worst um, judgments of the tribulation, the bold judgments. But you got the first, the second, the third, you got seven trumpet judgments. It's a warning of judgment that's coming. Uh, in, in the scriptures, in Israel, trumpets were used for all kinds of things, but one of the things that they were used for was to warn the people that judgment is coming. That's what the voice of the trumpet, that's what the sound of the trumpet here is. And they, what did, how did the people respond? The end of verse 16. They trembled. They knew what it meant. They knew they were confronted with an angry, jealous, holy God. That's why ultimately, when we come to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5, and even later on in Exodus 19 and 20 and such, they tell Moses, Moses had come down, you know, they had idolatry, and they had built the golden calf, and, you know, and so on, and, uh, you know, what did he do with the first set of stones? He threw it at them. Now, how big were those stone, those tablets, you think? Those tablets, those Ten Commandments, were actually the first, got to get this right, the first palm pilot tablet. Every size of a palm. You know, what do you usually see with the, with the tablets? Enormous, you know, pieces of stone. No, Moses, you know, he had to be a, you know, he had to work out every day to carry those things. They're about the size of a hand. The, the tablets, the Ten Commandments, two stones, they're size of a palm. The first palm tablet. Was it was it from palm? Maybe um, what was the palm pilot? Yeah, yeah. Okay, you didn't catch it, but anyway, that was the first Palm Pilot. Uh, I know, terrible. Okay, they were, about, they were that size. They, were, they fit in, you know. So when Moses threw the tablets, he wasn't, he wasn't heaving. I can only guess how heavy those pictured Ten Commandments were. A hundred pounds? You know, I don't know. No, it, this was very small. And he, they were very small. They fit in the, in the palm of his hand. Um, and so he threw them out, and they went back and got two others. And, uh, you know, the judgment came, and, and 3,000 died. And they go back up, find out what God wants. Because they saw the holiness of God. They saw the judgment of God. 3,000 had died, the lightning, the, the fire, the voice. And I, I still think Hollywood should make a I know Charlton Heston did a great job. They could do a better job today, but Charlton's no longer with us. But anyway, trumpet speaks of authority and warning. They understood that. And then it says, the voice of words, that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. What was the voice of words? Well, verses 24 and 25, Deuteronomy 5. And ye said, Behold, the Lord our God hath showed us his glory and his greatness, 
and we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that God did talk with man, and he lives. Now, therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us if we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore, then we shall die. The voice of words was God's voice. This was unique one time. If it happens again, we are going to be consumed. We're going to die. The voice that no one should want to hear is that of Jesus sending them to the lake of fire. In Matthew 7, 21 through 23, Jesus said, Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that does, does the will of my Father which is in heaven, the will of the Father is to believe on the Son. Many will say unto me in that day, these are the professing believers. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name have cast out devils. In thy name have done many wonderful works. But Jesus, look at all we did in your name. We did miracles. We did amazing works. We cast out demons. All in your name. How does he respond? Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. They did miracles in the name of Jesus. They healed people in the name of Jesus. They did all kinds of good works in the name of Jesus. I never knew you. They weren't saved and lost their salvation. I never, never knew you. And yet, they were doing things in the name of Jesus. They were professing believers, deceived. And the final words that Jesus issues to them, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. The ultimate judge at the great white throne judgment is not the Father. It's Jesus. Look at John 5, 22 and 27. The Father judgeth no man. He's committed all judgment unto the Son. And hath given, the Father hath given him, the Son, authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. All authority to execute judgment has been given to Jesus. So at the great white throne judgment, the final words that Jesus will be saying to uh, professing believers, let alone the unsaved who don't profess Jesus, depart from me. The, I, I can just imagine those words reverberating in the air, airs of, of these people for eternity. Depart from me. Isn't it nice? Isn't it a blessing that we will never hear the sound of a trumpet we will never hear the voice of words. They didn't want it to be spoken to them anymore, but it will be. And they will die if they don't come to the Lord. And then verses 20 and 21. For they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned to thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. And so he just builds on what he's already said, 
nothing could endure. Nothing could stand that. A beast would touch it. He would die. So terrible was this entire thing. Even Moses himself exceedingly feared and quaked. If the lawgiver, Moses, who was invited up by God to get the law, was fearful and quaked, what about everybody else? The people could not endure what they saw. We looked at 12 and 13 of Exodus 19 earlier. Any contact with the mountain would bring death. Moses himself was terribly frightened by what he saw. Deuteronomy 9.19 says, For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure wherewith the Lord was wroth against you to destroy you. But the Lord hearkened unto me at that time also. Moses was afraid for the people for, because of the anger and the, and, and the hot displeasure, the jealousy of God. And he, was, he feared for the people of Israel. The anger of the Lord is not trivial. It's extremely real. It's very, very real. In the previous warning passage, this is what it stated in Hebrews 10. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The, the New Testament, the later scripture, refers to the commandments of God as the ministry of death. 2 Corinthians 3, 1 through 10. In those 10 verses, verse 6, the letter, that's the law, kills. Verse 7, if the ministration of death written and engraven in stones, the Ten Commandments ministers death. Verse 9, it's the ministry of condemnation. And in Galatians 3.10, all who trust in the law are under a curse. For as many years of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. That comes from Deuteronomy 27, 26, I believe it is. Any type of law system, whether it comes from Islam or Catholicism or Lutheranism or whatever ism you want to name that says Judaism that you have to do something to please God you are going to be sorely shook up law giving brings death law keeping brings death and so what Jesus said was fear them when not fear not them which kill the body but are not able to kill the soul, but rather him, fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Yes? Well, that's the temporary place until he resurrected. Uh, that, and, and not only temporary when he resurrected, when he, it's the temporary place today. Uh, and all unbelievers are in hell today. At the great white throne judgment, which is at the end of the millennial kingdom, then we are told that death and hell gave up the bodies, and they were all cast into the lake of fire. Hell is their temporary dwelling place today. 
It's not the eternal dwelling place. The eternal dwelling place is the lake of fire. Turn the uh, page over. Let's go to the next page. That's the five warnings, the, the judgments that are coming. Now, he did it in such a way to say, if you're a believer, you don't have to worry about this. But the flip side of that, that's what Gerald, that's what Frank, that's what uh, Zarah, that's what, you name the unsaved person that you know, that's what they are looking at coming to, what's going to embrace them. It is scary. It is definitely scary. But here's the flip side for believers. Verses 22 through 24. But you, believers, possessing believers, truly saved people, you are come on to Mount Zion, onto the city of the living God. And, and we're going to have to... Uh, I don't have a lot of time left. And, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get through this real quick, hopefully. We'll see. You are come onto Mount Zion, onto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to the innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Believers, and there's eight different things that are listed here that we have as believers. We're come to Mount Zion. What do we get from Mount Zion? Well, number one, uh, Mount Zion is the city of the living God, uh, the heavenly Jerusalem. And we come on to an innumerable company, company of angels and so on. Well, as believers, we are come, number one, no less than eight blessings, to Mount Zion. Zion pictures grace in this passage. The allegory, for example, in Galatians 4 also uses Zion. Jerusalem is a picture of grace. Here's just some of the ways Zion is mentioned in the, in the Bible. Psalm 53, 6. Oh, that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion. Psalm 74, 2. Remember thy congregation which thou hast purchased of old, the rod of thine inheritance which thou hast redeemed, this Mount Zion wherein thou hast dwelt. Psalm 76, 1 and 2. In Judah is God known. His name is great in Israel. In Salem, Jerusalem, also is his tabernacle and his dwelling place in Zion. Psalm 128, 5. The Lord shall bless thee out of Zion, and thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem all the days of thy life. Isaiah 62, 11. Behold, the Lord hath proclaimed unto the world, end of the world, Say ye to the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him, his work before him. Salvation here is a person. He's coming from Zion. Zion is the place of grace. It's the place of salvation. It's the place of God's favor. It's the place of God's blessing. If you are a believer, you don't have to deal with Mount Sinai. Sinai just brings judgment. You touch it, you're going to die. The fire, the voice, all of that stuff. We have come on to Mount Zion unto grace. And Zion is the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Positionally now, we are, we're in the kingdom right now. It's not something we're waiting for. We have been passed from darkness to light, from the kingdom of 
Satan to the kingdom of God. That happens the moment you get saved. And positionally, we are seated in the heavenlies. <clears throat> um, Colossians 1.13, who had delivered us from the power of darkness has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Ephesians 2, 5, and 6. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. See, the Father sees us in Christ Jesus. And being in Christ Jesus, that theological term, where is Jesus sitting today? So we're, since we're in Christ, where does, where does the Father see us? in heavenly places with Jesus. Positionally, that's where we are. Practically, when will we get there? Still waits the future. Well, the rapture would be one, but what happens if you precede the rapture in death? Absent from the body is present with the Lord. Abraham, Hebrews 11. He looked for a city which had foundations whose builder and maker is God. But now they desire a better country. That is a heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he hath prepared for them a city. He was, he was a sojourner. He looked for a better city made uh, by God. We are in the same thing. Uh, Kenneth Wiest again says. Both the word city and foundations. Are preceded by the definite article. In the Greek text. Abraham looked for the city. Which had foundations. It was a particular city. With particular foundations. Revelation 21 and 22 tells us about that. He was looking for the heavenly Jerusalem. Je Jesus said, John 14, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. There's already a lot of mansions there for a lot of people. But I go there to prayer place for, for more children of God who are going to come there. Because heaven is a very real place. The heavenly Jerusalem is a very real city. There's streets. There's walls. There's buildings. It's very real. It's just as real as Andrew. And even more real. John, Revelation 21, 1 and 2. And I saw new heaven and new earth. For the first heaven, the first earth were passed away. There's no more sea. I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. God has prepared a city for us, the heavenly Jerusalem. He is, uh, we're, we're going there. I can't wait. I'm looking forward to that. I'm ready. Come, Lord Jesus. Then, ver then the third point. We're coming to an innumerable company of angels to the general assembly. We will be in the presence of angels with a mass gathering, the general assembly, uh, literally in the Greek, it, it speaks of a festal gathering of the whole people to celebrate public games or other solemnities. A public festal assembly. That word for general assembly, it, it's just a time of, of, of celebration. It's when, it's when the whole city comes together <coughs> and celebrates. Well, not only will we be there celebrating, there's going to be an innumerable. How many, how many are, are how, mu how much makes up innumerable? <laughs> I can't lie. A whole bunch, right? All millions upon millions of angels will be there. 
angels, not demons, not fallen angels. Angels will be in heaven. We will be there with angels. And we'll be able to see the angels at that point. That's amazing. And we're going to be celebrating together. Not only that, we're coming to the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven. <clears throat> now, church is the word ecclesia, the called out ones, written in heaven. Speaks of church age believers. Um, firstborn. Prototokos. That doesn't, that's not chronological. That's positional. When it says firstborn. Doesn't mean the firstborn, the secondborn, the thirdborn, chrono chronological in order. It means positional, priority, the most important. In Colossians 1.15, speaking of Jesus, who is the Im image of the invisible God, a God, the firstborn of every creature. He, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Now, was Jesus the firstborn of every creature, every, every person that, uh, that came into the world? No. He was born, what, some 2,000 years ago, virgin born. How many people were born in, into the world prior to Jesus? Thousands, millions. So he actually wasn't the firstborn, so it doesn't mean chronologically. It means who is the most important person born into this world? Jesus, hands down. Also, verse 18, he is the firstborn from the dead. Is Jesus the first one that, that was, uh, came back from the dead? No. A bunch of people prior to Jesus. But who's the most important one that's raised from the dead? Jesus. So, well, I'm not sure all of them did. So, <clears throat> some of them were transported right to heaven. Elijah, Elijah. Now, we've talked about this before. What is death? You know, we don't, don't take the, um, I shouldn't digress here, but we will. This is important. We're dead in trespasses and sins, Ephesians chapter 2. You know the normal teaching, that the, the oftentimes teaching you get on that, we're dead in, you're a stone, you're a body, you're a corpse, and corpses don't respond. They can't do anything. They're dead. It's like a stone. It just can't move. That's the world's definition of dead. The biblical definition of dead is separation. Never cessation of life where you can't do anything. When you die physically, you are separated from your body. You still exist. You're not a stone. You, 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 you may be in hell. You may be in heaven. You still exist. And um, dead is separation. When, when Adam died, when he sinned, he died, right? If you shall eat of the fruit of that tree, you shall surely... God said, die. How did Adam die, and Eve for that matter, how did they die initially when they knew the truth? Did they die physically? Spiritually. It took almost a thousand years for him to die physically. He immediately was separated from God. 
at the rapture, we die. It's appointed on a man once to die. It happens so instantaneously, though. What happens? We are raised corruptible. Well, that's the unsaved. But we are changed in the twinkling of an eye. How are we changed? We put off the corruptible and we put on incorruptible. We leave our old sinful body behind and we put on the, our new heavenly body. How quickly does that happen? I mean, so quickly you'll not even know it's happened hardly. That's death. It's putting off, it's separating the old and putting on the new. That's all death is. For Elisha and Elijah to be in heaven right now, they're not there in their natural bodies. When, when, when Elisha and, uh, when, when Elijah, uh, uh, no, not and Enoch too, but on the Mount of Transfiguration, and they were recognized. They were in glorified bodies. They were in new bodies. They were in glorified bodies, not their old bodies. So people have died. And because uh, you don't get to heaven without death. So, uh, so, but Jesus is the most important one that rose from the grave, resurrected. There's no comparison. He died for the sins of the world. Um, Oh, there's, there's a lot of things here. Um, Psalm 89, 27. Also, I will make him my firstborn higher than the kings of the earth. God will make David his firstborn. Was Dave, David was not the firstborn of his, of his, of his brothers, was he? No, he was the youngest. He was, he was the lastborn. But who was the most important of the sons? David. He was the most prominent one of them. Uh, Ephraim is called the firstborn, even though he was the second child of Joseph. He was the most important. Genesis 41, 51, and 52. In both Psalm 69, 27 and Jeremiah 31, 9, firstborn is translated with the Greek word uh, prototokos in the Septuagint, meaning priority, firstborn. Uh, so being part of the church is so much better than being part of Israel and being under the Mosaic Covenant is what he's saying, to the church of the firstborn. Um, we're written in heaven. We're registered in heaven. Um, it, it, it's the Greek word that's, that's taxed, uh, translated in Luke 2, 1, taxed. You know, it, it's, it's official. As believers, our name is written in heaven. And it's an indelible ink, by the way. It can't be erased. It's registered. You're registered in heaven. You know, when you think of all the ways you can look at eternal security in the Bible, why anybody would think that you can lose yourself, they don't know God, they don't know, I'm not saying they may, they're not saved, but they certainly don't know the nature of God, the promises of God, the word of God. Once you're truly saved, you can't lose your salvation. There are, and Hebrews, Hebrews 6 is one of the strongest passages on that, especially the last part of Hebrews 6. This here is just so powerful on that. Our name is written in heaven. It's eternal security. Uh, Luke 10, 20. Notwithstanding, in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice, why? Your names are written in heaven. That's amazing. Go to, um, where are we? Um, the last page. Uh, no, I've got to go to point three and four. Turn your page over. 
No, I did that. Go to the last page. I'm trying to get through this. We're at, we're at the time I like to close, but we're going we're gonna to take five minutes here or less. Point number five, God the judge of all. God is the judge of all, but there's no fear for believers is what it's saying. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that has sent me at everlasting life shall not come into condemnation, is passed from death unto life. So when, the, when we meet the, God, the judge of heaven, you know what he's going to say? Justified. Set free. I see Jesus. I don't see you in your sin. Because you accepted Jesus. 1 John chapter 4, verse 15 and 17, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwells in him and he in God. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. We can have boldness in the day of judgment. That's the, I think that's the great white throne judgment. Why? We're, 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 we're redeemed, we're saved, we're delivered, our names are written in heaven. Uh, we, we can be bold, we don't have to worry about it. The great white throne judgment is nothing to frighten you about as a believer. If you're an unbeliever, terrible. Spirits of just men made perfect. Now, <clears throat> this group is distinct from the church. Point number four, remember the ecclesia, uh, the called out ones, that's the church. These are the spirits of just men made perfect. This group is distinct from the church. It speaks of the people who have been saved and are now in heaven, likely pre-church age believers. Because remember, this is written in the book of Hebrews years ago. They don't have their sinful. Uh, they don't have their uh, sinful body. They have been justified and they are perfect, but they are not in their resurrected bodies yet. They are waiting for that because their bodies are in the grave. These are Old Testament earlier saints. These are spirits of just men made perfect. The church has been mentioned. These are all of the other people. These are all thus, thus the saved of uh, outside of the church. Spirits of just men made perfect. They're going to be in heaven with us. You're going to meet Abraham. You're going to meet Isaac. You're going to meet Jacob. You're going to meet Moses. You're going to meet Isaiah. You're going to meet Bathsheba. You're going to meet um, Ruth. You're going to be so busy. I don't know if eternity is long enough. Talking to all these people. You, you, you read Charles Spurgeon. You want to talk to Charles Spurgeon one day? You're going to have an opportunity. His line will be short. Moses, Abraham, Samuel, they'll be long lives. Jesus. Spirits of just men made perfect. You know who else is going to be there? Jesus. The mediator of the new covenant. See, it's only through Jesus we get to heaven. There's one God. There's one mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Jesus is there. He's the mediator of the new covenant. When we accept him, we enter into that blessing of the new covenant. Our sins are forgiven. So much could be said there. We talked about the new covenant back in uh, Hebrews chapter 8, for example, and into chapter 9. But Jesus will be there. And then what's the, the, the final blessing? To the blood of sprinkling that speak better things than that of Abel. We talked about Abel back at Hebrews chapter 11. 
The blood of sprinkling here refers to the blood of Jesus. Ephesians 1, 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. First uh, Peter 1, 18 and 19, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish, without spot. See, Abel bought, brought, remember the story of Cain and Abel? Cain's sacrifice was rejected. It was symbolized the work of himself. Abel brought a blood sacrifice. The blood of sprinkling is much better than the blood that Abel brought. It's the blood of Jesus. That solidifies our place in heaven. The old covenant, thus, the Mosaic law and the new covenant, grace through the Messiah, stand in tar stark contrast to each other. In the midst of this warning passage, the certainty of God's judgment for those who embrace the Mosaic covenant or any work system versus the certainty of God's blessings for those who embrace Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, pleads with all to reject any system of works for salvation and embrace the salvation of grace through Jesus. This is part of the warning passage. We're a believer that we are so secure I can't even begin to tell you, I can't even begin to communicate how secure a believer is in Jesus. There is no fear of death if you're a believer. None whatsoever. Maybe you're not looking forward to the pain of whatever process brings you to the point of separating from your body. But death itself has no hold on us. We're more than conquerors in Jesus. And, and this is just establishing what we have as believers and warning, professing people, get saved. Because what waits for you is just so horrific. And what waits for believers is just immeasurably satisfying and blessing. Yes. There are gradations in hell. There are different levels of hell. Uh, yes, and um, I'm trying to remember Matthew. Um, I think it's Matthew 12 speaks of that. But also when you go to the great white throne judgment, for the unsaved, God opens the books. There's, there's books and there's the book of life. And those who are not written in the book of life, those are believers, and we are indelibly written in the book of life, our names written down in heaven, uh, we are not judged out of the books. The books are the judgment of the unsaved people. And those books are opened, and they are judged out of what's written in the books. And, and that implies, but it's spoken of, I think it's in Matthew 12, towards the end of the chapter, uh, th that there be different degrees of punishment in hell, the lake of fire. It's still the lake of fire. Uh, just like in crime in our system. Uh, if you... Um, if you murder someone, you, will get a, you should get a stiffer penalty than somebody who has robbed a bank. There's different degrees of punishment. There's different degrees of punishment in the lake of fire. Yes. And just by the opening of books implies 
there, there be, there's different judgments and there's different penalties that are meted out. And that too, yeah, because yeah, they, you know, because they had the Lord, the Lord with them, and Sodom and Gomorrah did not have, you know, and uh, Tyrant Sidon and that type of thing. That also speaks of um, gradations of punishment. Yes. Well, in in heaven, the angels will be there, but we will be in charge. Angels are ministering spirits. They are given Hebrews chapter 1. Now, that's going back many months now. But angels are given to minister to us. Now, we can't boss them around right now, but in heaven, um, we will be ruling. We'll be ruling in the kingdom, the messianic millennial reign of Jesus, and we'll be ruling in heaven and angels will be under us. Yeah. Let's pray, because there's hamantashen coming. And you've got to eat it for, in celebration of Purim. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and love. And I'm so glad that I've come to Mount Zion and all the blessings that come with that. But Lord, all of us know people who are uh, still stuck at Mount Sinai. They're working their way to heaven, they think. And oh, they, the, the future for them is bleak, it's dark, it's dreary, it's judgmental, it's eternal, it's lake of fire. And Lord, we know them, we ask that you would work in, in the, we, we've mentioned through the, through the weeks and months and years here, uh, innumerable numbers of people who are unsaved and prayed for them. And we, we ask for all of these that, that we have mentioned that you'd work in their lives, convict them of their sin, Draw them to you that they can respond uh, to the gospel of grace and be saved. Bless our fellowship. Bless the food. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Shalom. This is Mark Robinson, Executive Director of Jewish Awareness Ministries, thanking you for listening to our Bible study. These Jewish Awareness podcasts are a teaching ministry of Jewish Awareness Ministries. If you have questions about the study that you just listened to or would like additional information, go to our website, jewishawareness.org. Email us at office at jewishawareness.org or call us at 919-275-4477. Shalom.